Hello and welcome to the Jubitate podcast, your home for underreported topics of the day, where we try to mitigate the onslaught of unleashed progressivism, traversing the world, searching for sanity. Welcome to the Dubitate podcast. We are featuring part two of our interview with Dennis McCarthy, discussing the politics of COVID-19. Dennis is an author and independent researcher. His recent discovery of an important Shakespeare-related manuscript made the front page of the New York Times, as well as the London Times, The Telegraph, The Guardian, The Los Angeles Times, US News, and many other major news outlets around the world. He is also the author of the critically acclaimed Here Be Dragons, how the study of animal and plant distributions revolutionized our views of life and earth, which was published by Oxford University Press. He is also one of the few researchers to have published papers in the leading journals of such diverse fields as geophysics, biogeography, and English literature. We're back with Dennis McCarthy talking about the politics of COVID-19. Um, a subject that you touched upon earlier uh, in um, the political leverage that folks are trying to gain is about uh, the role of government in times such as these. So what do you think COVID-19 has highlighted about the role of government? At least l- let's keep it to U.S. for the moment. Sure. Well, well, two things. I think um, even the uh, craziest libertarian agrees that you should have a uh, that a proper role of the federal government is defense of the United States, and you could look at that as part of the defense budget. The defense budget right now is seven hundred uh, seven hundred billion, and the CDC budget is seven billion. So there are two things. I want to make a distinction between giving more resources to the CDC and letting them be in more control uh, or, or letting them completely run things or letting have a federal government totally run things. Those are two completely different things. I think the CDC should be should get a significant 10 times more than what they're getting, uh, which is seven billion right now. And that should be taken out of the defense budget. We're trying to we're uh, we have such a high defense budget against uh, human invaders, which are really never going to come. And we have invisible invaders right now. So the CDC would have uh, uh, much more operation, uh, much more operational ability. I, I think they should have and a lot more um, uh, PPE, for example, a lot uh, uh, more uh resources on every level that they can then quickly dispense and help other other nations. But I don't think they should be in a situation to where they are controlling things. As you see, they are even responsible for the testing debacle that started in uh, in January in the United States of America, where they were refusing to allow other uh, other people and other health. Uh, other health labs test and they wanted to run their own tests and have everyone run their own tests. You see what South Korea did. South Korea uh, used uh, all sorts of private companies to run with tests. And they and whereas the CDC, it seemed like there was some bureaucratic territoriality going on where they wanted to run their own tests. And then when they ran their own tests, they uh, uh, it turned out they were faulty. And so that cost us weeks and weeks uh, in fighting this uh, 
in fighting this menace. In um, an April 8th article, the Post, the Washington Post asserted that Gen Z was already fed up with the status quo. And this kind of relates back to the question about the role of government. Uh, it's a little broader because uh, the when we say fed up, they were fed up with life and the way society is organized and all those kinds of things, you know, the, the normal candidates for, yes. you know, revolution. Um, right. and, and COVID-19 simply affirmed their beliefs that, you know, significant change uh, is needed. And, and so as a broader thought, do you think that that's true and that there are other things that COVID-19 accelerated or phased out? And it could be, you know, related to the role of government, but it could mean other things as well. So, um, for example, you know, and this is a little bit more mundane, but very pervasive, it seems that there's going to be a sustained movement to remote work, even when the virus is controlled. But are there any uh, broad uh, trends that you foresee and any any larger tr change that this virus is going to bring on a long-term basis? Well, I don't think it, I don't think the, uh, the fact of the pandemic uh, supports the uh, view of a complete government takeover of healthcare. I mean, do, do you really want Trump and his uh, HHS controlling everything and making decisions for all states? And I, I think that in some way that works, works against the particular view of, uh, of a total uh, federal dominated, federally dominated healthcare system. In fact, you know, it, it, you know that's a general uh, fun thing with Gen Z, who they continue to argue, and I agree with them to a lar large extent that we live in a uh, corporatist oligarchy run by uh, orange psychopath. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I can see that. And then they'll say, so let's give them control over everything. Uh, so I think uh, Donald Trump himself is a huge argument for states' rights and the governors and allowing the governors uh, to do more and allow states to handle their own situations. We don't want uh, a single federal decision-making process coming from Washington, D.C., in particular when it's controlled by, say, by Donald Trump. So is the... Is the um the cautionary message that you're saying is, you know, I hearken back to the the whole filibuster thing, right? It can be used against you just as easily. So be careful what you wish for. Is that right. kind of the message here about yeah. that? Yeah. Yes. And to a certain extent, you've got to, um, you've got to make sure that if you you have a national healthcare system that it's actually uh, Trump proof. And that it's going to, you know, that you have to imagine, you don't, wh what happens is uh, when we think of the type of healthcare system we want, if you are thinking of a single system run from a centralized body, most people are thinking of, uh, you know, altruistic, omniscient people running it and doing it uh, on behalf of, uh, uh, of the populace and doing it in an extremely efficient and productive manner. And they're not realizing that half the time, the exact opposite of their political beliefs, those people are going to be in charge, that people like Trump are going to be in charge. He's not a fixable bug. The fact that the GOP is going to be running your healthcare system is not a fixable bug. That's a feature of all uh, of all systems that you want to, if you want a federal system. So 
I think. Uh, so the founding is, fathers got it right. I think so. I think so. That you need. You really need. You don't want all your eggs in one basket. And I think uh, states' rights. And you can always do a uh, more massive single payer health care system from a state, from a certain state. But they haven't done it. They haven't done that. I think because of the of the same cause. Okay. So what do you think Gen Z will focus on once um, the virus is under control? Is there a single thing that you think that their attention will be on? Um, I mean, it's okay to have the view that their interests are fleeting and, and, you know, it's whatever the topic du jour is, but is there some one thing that you think comes out of this that um, will be a a sustained effort by, by them? And I mean them as a, as a, uh, proxy for um, you know youth, and and what will they want coming out of this uh, post-COVID situation? Uh, I don't see it right now. I don't see their exact tie-in of a particular element of um, of this of this disease, other than more funding for the CDC, which I agree with, and uh, more uh, and maybe bringing in the pandemic. A pandemic group, pandemic group, they'll be continuously uh, focused on inequalities, which I also agree with them, uh, which is a good thing. Um, and continuing toward social justice, those things. But I don't see how they're going to tie in just basic government takeovers. Um, or at least I don't see that type of uh, that type of argument. I don't see it in the media or uh I don't see a lot of the columns just saying uh, this is why we need. Well, you see a few, but this is why we need this type of healthcare in order to do it. In fact, I think um, I think the nibbleness. I think the fact that there are different governors doing different things is actually a good thing. I mean, in American Samoa, uh, for example, there's no COVID nineteen cases at all. So they haven't shut down. There's zero cases and they've stopped anyone coming in. So they're not going to get it. And it would just be insane for them to have stopped uh, all businesses or stopped all uh, bars and uh, nightclubs and just, you know. And it would have been just as insane for uh, Brooklyn and Queens to continue opening up and still having running businesses and running the subways as the disease was just uh, running rampant. So you need to have different decisions in different parts of the country at different times. I think that that is clear, and I think a lot of people are starting to agree with that. Please visit jubitate.com for links and source material for this podcast. We welcome listener feedback and ideas for future shows. If you are a podcast host and would like to be cross-linked to your podcast, please email info at jubitate.com. Any opinions on how this will affect November's election, speaking about uh, the youth vote? And um, before we get to that, what do you think the um, the roadway for COVID-19 is? Is this three? And, and I know I'm asking the impossible question, but you hear it could be another month, it could be six months, or it could be another two years. So what's your feeling about that? I know you, that's a bit of a hat tip to your statistical analysis, but what, what is your thought on that? Well, I think until until you get uh, until we get a vaccine uh, or a cure, and I think a vaccine's more likely, um, we're just not we're just not going to be able to go back to anything normal 
if we ever are. And by normal, I mean rock concerts and football games. We're just, uh, you know, where people are actually going. Um, so it would be a uh, it would be a vaccine, and of course there are about nine um, in in you know fairly um, accelerated uh, yeah. uh, initiatives going on with trials, you know, in, in various degrees. With one, um, you know, showing some promise for as early as September, but it, it wouldn't just be the vaccine though. What it, it would also be sufficient quantity to give comfort. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. So it could yeah, be the- prolonged. It could be. But as Dr. Fauci said, they're actually ramping up. They're actually. And here's one thing about uh, great government uh, thing, the resources uh, pouring in. They're actually starting to mass produce vaccines that they think might work. So they start having enough of it. And if it tests and it it turns out that uh, through rigorous testing, it does work, they're going to have it. They're going to have it ready. It's this type of resources. These are the type of things that government uh, can help and uh, with their uh, uh, big pockets and uh, and help in terms of helping the disease. So there, so that that could help. That could help shorten it. But other than that, it is. Uh, you know, I do think it's seasonal. I do think it's. Uh, uh, it may uh, go down a bit in the summer. But uh, in the fall, it, it will it will tick back up somewhat, and I sympathize with people, the groups that want to uh, start start opening up. The I just got a letter uh, from uh, email from uh, my hairdresser, going through all the steps. So I'm in New Hampshire, and uh, she said, uh, you know, uh, May 29th I can fit you in, and I'm you know, and I'm say okay. And she sent me a list of all the uh, of all the precautions, and it seems to be really intelligently done and really careful. And I think if if certain places that are not right now, uh, uh, you know, unlike New York City, that are really totally set by it, although their cases are going down, I think it can be done in a wise fashion. But you really have to protect the. the I think you can open up a little bit in a wise fashion. And it doesn't mean completely opening up, but um, going to certain businesses uh, and just freeing people a little bit more and more during the summer. But again, all this is, but before we come get back to a normal life, we're going to need lots of testing and vaccines. And I know I'm saying what everyone else is saying, but I think everyone else is right. So what is it, I can understand the um, overall benefit to, society in the country. Uh, but aren't these pharmaceuticals taking a big risk in terms of, um, you know, spending all this money for manufacturing ahead of approvals? And, and why would they be doing it? Are they, do you think that government has now kind of um, uh, guaranteed uh, to offset some of their losses? Or do you think they're acting more benevolently? What, what What's your opinion about that? Well, I think it's the... Um I think it's the former. I believe, it, as I read Dr. Fauci's comment, I'd have to read the whole thing uh, more carefully. They are uh, they are helping, and they are going to uh, help with the cost of uh, ramping up production ahead of time. But 
whoever does this is going to uh, whoever whoever does this is going to profit on it. But you know, I mean, I'm not one of those who thinks uh, pharmaceutical. There are certain pharmaceutical companies who've done insanely greedy things that have been uh, uh, have are right to be uh, vilified for certain actions they've taken. But a lot of them are not like that. Of the certainly the doctors and researchers that are working for them are uh, doing this for, uh, a lot of them are doing it for noble reasons. They really want to cure the disease. And it's a feather in the cap if, uh, if a, uh, for any pharmaceutical company that comes up with the vaccine. And, you know, it'll be, a, you know, an important, uh, important thing, even if they make not dime one on the vaccine, and they will, um, it would be just important for their brand. Yeah. I mean, Abbott saw a big, Abbott Laboratories saw a big um, uh, uh, uptick based on the fact that they got some testing, which wasn't all that great. Uh, it wasn't complete, um, but it, it was generally effective and they got a lot of, um, um, you know, good press and uh, good recognition for that. Right. Goodwill, right? right? I mean, that's, yes, that's exactly. there's a value it's to goodwill. that goodwill. Yeah. There's a value to the goodwill. That's exactly right. Okay. Well, getting back to the question about the uh, election, how do you think this will uh, uh, impact that? I mean, we see differing reports about, you know, uh, President Trump's approval rating. We also hear all kinds of uh, predictions. His pres presidency is over, essentially, uh, no matter how we come out of it now because of how it's been handled. But on the other hand, uh, you know, I'm seeing approval numbers are fairly high and not sure who to believe and, and what to think. But what do you think? Uh, I always go with uh, predicted.com. Um, and right now, they're a little schizophrenic on the issue. Uh, I haven't looked at it today, but at least by yesterday, um, they they have Trump right now slightly ahead in terms of their prediction. Though the electoral, when you look at their electoral college map state by state, they have Biden ahead. And they have Biden winning um, uh, Michigan and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, while Trump takes Ohio and Florida and and that puts uh, that puts Biden ahead uh, 290. Uh, and that kind of does make sense to me uh, a little bit right now. It seems like those would be the states that would go for would go for Biden. And it's possible, I think, Florida. But I think it's going to be close. And. Um, and <laughs> if he wins again, it's just <laughs> I mean, people are going to go. I mean, it's people are going to go ballistic. So, so I would imagine, based on what you said earlier about um, the reaction, a lot of it has to do with the fact that it is Trump. I'm I'm expecting that this will be probably as vicious of a cycle as we've ever seen. Uh, no, this is going to be. Uh, uh, you'd have to go to the Civil War. Uh, it would seem. I mean, it's just going to be. It's going to be crazy. You know, I'm against, I'm very much against Trump, but I've got progressive friends that are going to, if they, if, if Trump wins again, I just don't, I don't, I don't see how they can mentally deal with it. They had, they, there were a lot of people, a lot of people on the left had to see psychiatrists after the first time. And this time it would just be an absolute horror show for them. But I, but I think they're going to be, I think there's going to be such ill will and anger is such a motivating force that they might be able to push it over. And I think uh, Biden's going to take it. 
but it's the, also the economy. The economy is destroyed, and uh, that you know that's the the fault of the disease we have gone into as. Uh, uh, we, you know, we we're in a self-induced coma. As the uh, and that was the big arrow in in uh, President Trump's quiver, right? So, yes. And now he yeah. doesn't have that. He doesn't have that, yeah. right? And it doesn't matter what you know. I think presidents get too much credit and too much blame for the economy. Uh, either way, uh, you know, Trump isn't the one who really destroyed this economy. It's of course the the virus, but it doesn't matter. People do associate uh, the uh, the economy with. Uh, with the president. And, uh, so that's, so that's going to hurt him, And, uh, you know, and so then, uh, so I think Biden will take it. So we can agree that it's going to be, um, must watch TV until November. It's, it's going to be must watch TV and it's going to become more and more extreme. And, you know, we're, you can tell we're already in as, uh, president Obama uses referred to it as the silly season. You can tell we're already in the silly season and everything is so hyped, but it's going to be insane. And I know, you know, and I used to say every time people used to say, oh, well, this is the most uh, polarizing election. And I know the historic, you know, the, all the history lessons of <laughs> previous elections, which are even more polarizing. But this is going to be really off the charts. But how could it not be right? The, this uh, has yeah. to be. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, exactly. Well, we'll stay tuned to that. Um, I, I have um, one final question, and it's unrelated to all of this. I'd love to hear how the intellectual and academic pursuits of geophysics, biogeography, and English literature all came together in your life. Is that is there a common thread there that I'm not seeing, or are those interests pursued in their uh, respective lanes? Uh, well, I got into Shakespeare through biogeography, whether, whether you can believe it or not, in that I uh, like uh, the idea, I like studying uh, the distribution patterns of, of species. And also you can do the same thing. And as species spread, as genes spread, so do memes, memes spread like genes. And you can trace the uh, movement of ideas across lands as you can do that with, uh, with organisms and plants and animals. And so you can trace religions and how they evolved and how they how they have spread across certain nations or political views or whatever. You can also do it with uh, with certain art forms and great works of art. And I was wanted to give a to give an example of this, of how memes spread just like genes do. I wanted to give a biogeographical history of what may be the greatest act of creativity in the human race. And that's Hamlet. And I wanted to show exactly where all the ideas in it came from, how Hamlet got to be where these, you know, when it's a Danish legend and then there's all sorts of uh, influence by Marcus Aurelius and Guevara, which are all uh, these ideas that were around Western Europe. And they and you can trace when they came into London and how they all ended up in the mind of the same person and uh, put into and put into its form today. So uh, so that's a fun little project that I started doing. Uh, and that's how it got me from. In biogeography to English literature. Uh, you are uh, absolutely a fascinating person. And Dennis, uh, I'd like to thank you for generously joining us today and sharing your thoughts about this momentous period in our lives. Thank you so much, Sanj. Be well. You too. You've been listening to part two of our interview with Dennis McCarthy. 
Join us again next time, and we thank you for supporting the show. Please visit jubitate.com for links and source material for this podcast. We welcome listener feedback and ideas for future shows. If you are a podcast host and would like to be cross-linked to your podcast, please email info at jubitate.com. Until next time, when we once again traverse the world searching for sanity.